calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, everyone. My name is Srinivas Kunte. I am the director for continuing education and advocacy at CFA Institute. I'm here on the sidelines of CFA Institute's 72nd annual conference in London. I have here with me Mark Yusko. Okay. Welcome, Mark. Ah, thanks for having me. Uh, Mark just delivered an absolutely electric and forceful session on investing in emerging markets. Uh, Mark uh, is a founder, CEO, and CIO of Morgan Peak Capital Management. And besides that, he also invests a lot of money in charity. Mark, can you take us uh, through your core investment thesis of emerging, of investing in emerging markets? Yeah, I think the, the core thesis comes down to growth. And if you look around the world where the incremental growth is going to come from, I think it's going to come from emerging markets. Now, emerging markets is a funny term because yes. what does it mean? You yes. know, we have countries like South Korea that's in the emerging market index or Taiwan. I would argue those are pretty developed, uh, and yet a country like China or India or you know Argentina, yes, less developed. So I think it's it's tough to, to lump it all in one broad brush. But I do think if we look around the world at developed versus developing, yes, all right, that you can start to to find opportunities, and that opportunity, as I said, comes to growth. We look at, at demographics. We've got yes. positive demographics versus the negative demographics in the developed world. Yes. Then we've got debt. There's far too much debt in the developed world, much less debt, contrary to popular opinion, yes. in the developing world. Yes. And then you've got deflation. Yes. So in the developed world, you've got lots of older people, 65 to 85, yes. and that's very deflationary. In the younger um, pop or in the uh, developing world, you've got much younger population. Take India, for example. Yes. You know, 25% of the world's population under the age of 35 live yes. in India. And so you tend to have a little higher inflation, and that's good for stock prices, good for growth. Yes. So how how does one look at the time horizon yeah. uh, for investing in emerging markets? Look, time horizon is so important. And, and I tend to speak in decades. Yes. You know, I like to buy and hold, and yes. I'm not a trader. I'm, yes. I'm an investor. Uh, it doesn't mean trading's bad. It's just I'm yes. not very good at it. Yes. And so uh, I probably can't tell you what's going to happen in the next 10 months. Yes. But I'm actually pretty good over 10-year periods. And when I think about emerging markets, I really do think in, in decade-long periods. And I think this period we're about to enter yes. is very similar to 2000. Right. And from 2000 to 2010, the developed world had negative returns. The yes. U.S. stock market was minus 1.9 for a decade. Yes. Emerging markets were almost 10% a year compounded. Yes. Now, it was interesting. A question in the in the session after my talk said, well, what about the last 10 years? You know, you would have been telling us to buy emerging. I'm like, yes, yes, I would have. And I definitely missed the impact of QE and how that would make U.S. assets and developed market assets more attractive uh, and, and push valuation to levels I just didn't expect. From here though, from these valuation points, when I look at Chinese equities under 10 times, US equities at you know, closer to 20 times, 
just seems like a no-brainer. So this thesis of investing in emerging markets, it holds true for developed market investors as well as emerging market investors? Uh, really, really important question, right, yeah. is, is um, home market matters. Yes. And you know, it's really interesting because we all have home market myopia. Yes. Right? People in the U.S. have more U.S. equities. People in the U.K. have more U.K. equities. People in India have more Indian yes. equities. Yes. And that's normal because we think all the smart people live where we live. Yes. It's not true, but that's what we think. Yes. And uh, I do think it matters if you're a, a developed world investor, you tend to have much bigger weights in the U.S., Europe, Japan, and I think that's got to change. Yes. And it, it goes to, there's a great chart, and I showed it in the presentation. Yes. You go back to 1899. Yes. The U.S. was 15% of global markets. Yes. The U.K. was 25. Yes. Germany was 13. France was 14. Yes. And Europe was really the dominant superpower. Yes. Well, if you invested that way based on the index in 1899, yes. you underperformed for a century. Yes. Today, the U.S. is 52%. Yes. And all these other countries are smaller. And it goes back to the old, you know, people contributed to Wayne Gretzky, or attributed to Wayne Gretzky, but it was really his dad, Walter, yes. who said, don't skate to where the puck is. Yes. Skate to where yes. the puck is going, going to, to be. be. Yes. And we know that with growth, both demographic growth and wealth growth, that the growth and the opportunity is going to be in these developing markets. So let's skate there and let's underweight the developed world and overweight the developing world. So having made the case for a decade-long investment, what do you see uh, some of the milestones in those uh, ah, coming 10 yes. years? You know, what should one be careful about? Yeah, look, I, I really important point. Someone asked a question about, you know, what about China and their debt problem? Yes. And the interesting thing is they actually don't have as big a debt problem as people think yes. because the government's on both sides of 40% of the debt. Yes. They own the bank and the SOE. Yes. So if the SOE defaults, they own the bad loan and the default, so they can just cancel it. Yes. So you got to look for some milestones around China, how they manage through this debt transition and converting the SOEs to has-been companies and how well they back the emerging technology like technology, or emerging companies like technology, healthcare, and consumer. Yes. Uh, then you've got to look at places like India. How do they manage the political system, which is, yes. look, there's incredible opportunity. Young, yes. educated yes. population, lots of natural resources. Yes. But there's also the challenges of poverty and wealth inequality yes. and, and corruption. Yes. There's corruption everywhere. We just yes. call it lobbying in the United yes. States. Yes. We have lots of it. Yes. Um, but then you can look at places like Argentina, where the real opportunity is to monitor their financialization. Right. You know, only 10% of their companies are listed. Right. And yet there's lots of businesses that could be listed. Right. And if you look 100 years ago, very little was financialized in the United States. Right. But we're really good right. at underwriting companies and getting them public. Right. A lot of developing countries have to do that. So we need to watch those milestones. Right. Inflation's another thing we have to keep a, a, yeah. our eye on. Yeah. When you have young populations that are growing quickly, you get higher risk of inflation. Yes. What we really need to watch, and this is something I, I spend a lot of time on now that I've been spending more time in blockchain and crypto, yes. is sound money policies. So right. we need to watch for things like Zimbabwe and Venezuela. I mean, people forget, last year, the best yes. performing stock market in the world was Venezuela. Right. Did you want to own any Venezuelan stocks? No, because no, yeah, yeah. it got devalued with bolivars. Yeah. Yeah. So if we think about countries around the world, their monetary policies and printing too much money yes. and too much deficit spending could be real problems. Yes. So what about the institutions in these uh, economies? Uh, 
uh, how uh, are these important? Yeah. Uh, financialization, they say that US is over financialized. Yes. Whereas, you know, emerging markets are less financialized. Yeah. Could you give some insights? Look, I, I get it. It's really, really important question. Uh, without the right regulatory framework, without the right governmental framework, without the right policies, none of this other stuff matters. Right. And there are lots of examples all around the world where countries have best intentions, but either through corruption or through lack of institutions, they just can't get things done. And I think that does have to, to change. If I think about, about one of the biggest opportunities, it's taking private businesses and bringing them into public markets or into more liquid markets. And, and some of that will be through blockchain technology, through tokenization, yes. and we'll go to true digital ownership. Yes. So there's all of these technological trends that I think will impact investors' ability to own assets. Right. And it's very similar to emerging markets leapfrogged in, in uh, communications technology because yes. they didn't have to string wire. Correct. They went straight to wireless. Correct. And now they're dominating things like 5G. Correct. The same thing could happen in ownership of assets yes. if we take blockchain and own assets truly digitally and skip over all of the big convoluted DTCC and, yeah. and all the you know the regulatory yeah. framework that, yeah. that the developer world has. Yeah. So, what part of the emerging markets uh, do you like? Uh, you you talked about private investments uh, by uh, mm -hmm. by endowments like Yale. Yep. So, do you like private better or listed market better in emerging markets? Yeah, it's 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 um it's really interesting. Private investing is always beneficial to you because you get paid for that illiquidity. You know, right. Most of us, well, all of us have a finite life. Institutions yes. can live forever. Yes. But um, an individual will pay extra or they'll take a lower return right. to be liquid. And right. so the reason Yale and other institutions buy more private investments is then right. you get that illiquidity premium. Right. Now, what's interesting is through the use of blockchain technology, we can actually reduce that illiquidity premium by making it available to more people. Right. Think about taking an iconic piece of real estate like the Plaza Hotel, yes. tokenizing it, and having people in India or China be able to buy fractional ownership yes. of that asset. Yes. Incredible. Yes. So I do think that there will be a blurring of the lines between private and public, but today we like consumer technology, healthcare. We like to start in the private markets once they become public. Uh, and think about it. One of my favorite companies is this company called Cafe de Corral in Hong Kong. Right. You bought it 30 years ago when it went public. It's compounded over 20% a year as a public company. What do they do? They serve cheap food for low prices to a lot of people. Right. Boring business, not sexy, not high tech, but a really good investment. Right. Quick insights on, it's been complained by some of the experts in uh, popular media that, and some of the governors as well, that emerging markets are price takers, yes. central bank, bank governors. So how yeah. will that play out in the next 10 years? Well, that's a really important question. We saw that in 2018, yes. right? The Fed hiked rates and a lot of central banks around the world had to hike rates to defend their currencies. And that is a problem, right? right. Um, and it will change over time as central banks of these countries become more robust, just as an institution to your earlier yes. question, but also in terms of, um, take China, for example, they want to be the world reserve currency. Right. Today, they're a world reserve currency. They're in the SDR. Right. Will they become the? I don't know. They, right. have, a, they have a chance. Right. But as other countries become more important in terms of global diversification of assets and global investors want to own 
Indian rupee or they want to own, you know, Indonesian rupiah, yes. that will help those central banks not be price takers, particularly on interest rates. Right. It's a really important point you make. One, one quick answer on, you know, uh, what are the sweet spots on risk optimization? What part of uh, uh, the portfolio should emerging markets uh, represent? Ah, yeah, so look, I, I think you should invert the world index. Okay. So today, the U.S. is 50, you know, Japan and Europe is kind of 40, and emerging markets right. is 10. I'd flip it upside down. Emerging right. should be 50, Europe and Japan should be 25, and the U.S. should be 25. Right. Thank you very much. This was a very insightful uh, talk on investing in emerging markets. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening in. By the way, Mark has got a YouTube uh, video YouTube called, channel, yeah. YouTube channel called Around the World with Yusko. Do take a look at that channel. And thank you for listening to us again. No, thank thanks you, Thanks for having me. Great thank questions, you. yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.